The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. Christ! We're not hunting him! He's hunting us! Welcome to Subversive Cinema. I have known you since you were a kid, Ricky. Ever since you were seven and eight years old, you've shown superhuman strength. Disrespectful conduct, flippant and tasteless verbal remarks. No, no, I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Subversive Cinema. I'm your host, Art, and joining me today is director, writer, actor, and special effects guru, and just all around everything from the film The Taint, Drew Balduk. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing well, man. Doing very, very well. Um, We had just covered this film a few episodes ago. And with my uh, good friend, Chris, who uh, he and I both share a little bit of a filmmaking history where we made our very first feature long time ago, probably on, I would say, the same sort of materials and utilities that you had, but it did not turn out anywhere near as good. <laughs> so um, I, I want to get into the taint because I have so many questions. But first, I would just like to know a little bit more about you. So tell us about yourself how did you get in the film what 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 got you into making a movie like the taint and any of your other short projects that movie i was think at the time i was working at starbucks and uh and some of the people that are in the movie um like the guy who plays ludus uh brock all um or kenneth hall he I, he was one of the people I work with, and then it was through him I met Dan Nelson, the co-director and the DP. And so basically, I showed Dan the script, and but yeah, I was just working at um, Starbucks. I dropped out of school because I went to art school for a period of time, and I just didn't like it. It was every it was a very it was much more of like a fine art environment, and so I was I kind of gotten the habit of making movies you weren't supposed to make and there was a in rich i was from i'm from richmond virginia or at least that's where i was and there was this this film screening thing called project resolution and there was a lot of film students that would bring stuff there but you could show anything you could just bring it and all you had to do is get critiqued afterwards so like i used that to my advantage to just show just insane things and um and just to see an audience get a reaction out of some of the stuff I did, like the end of the taint, there's like the coat hanger sequence was I, originally a short film I did, and, but it was like a high eight movie. And it was, uh, I've never gotten a response from a movie, like from an audience, the, what it was like the first time I showed that. And, um, and it's like a drug, you know, when you, it's like being a comedian, getting laughs, things like that. And so it was like, I think, I, I was just chasing that high of showing this really fucked up movie. But to me, it was like, every everybody was really pretentious. So I, I kind of took the other route where I was like, I'm gonna make total trash. Um, Cause at the time, everything that was popular was like Cremaster, the David, Matthew Barney, is that his name? Yeah, movies, which are actually really like, but um, you know, art, was really pretentious at least in art school so i was like i'm gonna do what you you know the lowest of the low 
and then it just kept getting lower. That uh, that's awesome. I, I I have to respect that because you know it, it, a contrarian point of view is just refreshing because you know there's so much bullshit that's out there that everybody just keeps putting up and pedestals and pointing to and it after a while it all blurs together and it becomes the same which is why i think a film like yours really jumps out because you're watching it and you're like what the fuck is happening in this thing and it it's memorable there's no way to forget about it and you know from what you know i've already said i really really enjoyed it my friend who uh was the the guest on that show he really enjoyed it and I know like the reviews go either which way. And it's clearly because of, you know, the content, the content is all over the place. It's fucking crazy. But that's that's a very noble uh, pursuit that you did. And I would actually venture to say it's probably more of an artistic pursuit than many of the other ones you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, and obviously the world has changed and the, those dialogues have changed. Um, and um there's definitely a period of time where it's like, should I tell people I even made this movie? You know, but now I kind of just, and I think younger people, I don't know. I, I do see younger people now they're finding offensiveness again. Like it's this new thing, but. Uh, is that the thing now? Like the younger crowd is starting to not be as offended by things like they're fine. They're, is that what you mean? They're like looking well, for. It's always going back and forth. Like it's always changing. We're like, I think when I was in high school, post 9-11 or during 9-11, it was like uh, the left were was the ones fighting and being offensive. And then it and then it switched to the right. And then it keeps going back and forth. It's just like it's like people discovering how to be transgressive, how to be offensive. And then really the only thing that matters is like, what is your intention? Like, why are you doing it? And I think that's the only thing like you really have to think about because um, you can get away with a lot if you're in, it's like magic or something. It's like your intentions behind it are good or positive. You can get away with pretty much anything, but it's when you, I don't know. I do think it's cool when people that shouldn't get to make movies get to make movies too, though. And I think if, if only trusted people get to make movies that, that are, completely mentally sound because I definitely wasn't completely mentally sound when I made this movie. Like I, <laughs> I was like pretty, you have to be kind of insane to make a movie like this. Cause there's no self-preservation. There's no, like you just, we didn't even like, I didn't care what happened to me or really what people thought about me. You don't make these decisions if you're worried about your career or, you know, and I think a lot of times I've made movies specifically that would uh, end a career. So I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the thing that'll end your career, <laughs> which I don't recommend if you're trying to make money. You know what I mean? There's like, yeah, there's always a caveat to these things. You know, I would say I feel that I'm a, I think I'm a little bit older than you. But when we made our first film, there was, you know, the internet was still like, look. MySpace was a, was barely a thing and Facebook hadn't even come out yet. So it's just like, we didn't really care because we didn't think about the fact that the internet remembers. Yeah. In 2010 or 2009, whenever it was that you had this, that you made this, I'm guessing that, you know, the internet was clearly there, but again, it's just like this, this, um, 
sort of rebel and rogue approach of like, fuck it, you know, it's going to be there and, you know, it is what it is. But I think that's also the gumption of youth. Yeah. Well, also, it's like, I do remember before the internet. And so, like, when you saw something that was truly fucked up, it was mind-blowing. It blew your mind. Like, I remember even The Simpsons blew my mind when I was yeah. really young. Like, I was like, oh, my God, or, or South Park or something. But then there's like 4chan and obviously 4chan has become like this politicized thing. But like in the early days, because I knew a lot of anime people when I was in high school and they were the ones that were into 4chan. But um, 4chan is where I learned about like shitting dick nipples and like all this weird shit that you would. (laughs) And it's like there was something awesome about it. Um, I mainly used it to get high definition images because it used to be really hard to get large hd images to use for stuff but mm-hmm. there's like an hd thing on 4chan but i never i never was really in the communities i never really used it the way other people did but like there was something about it and i remember it's just like oh you could do anything you could see anything and uh so i was definitely inspired by that element of the internet when we, i did the team um because like it's like well, what's the next level of pushing the boundaries and obviously <laughs> I guess they all turn into Nazis, I guess is the next level of fortune. Yeah, I guess. But, <laughs> I suppose um, that, yeah. It didn't seem like that in the beginning. I think I think Fortune, like that part of Fortune is gonna get erased where it did seem like a beautiful thing at first, you know, but when you you know and people are still debating like freedom of speech and what people should be allowed to do or not do. And I think at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> I do think people should be allowed to do make whatever kind of movies they want to make. And, you know, I completely agree with that. I, you know, I do this show because I love movies and I love movies that aren't common. And that that's where I find the most fun, original stuff is the movies that are a little bit dangerous and subversive or bad I gave you a 10 because it was like so fucking subversive we never knew what was going to happen in this thing oh thanks yeah i also think that allowing your movies to be bad too is like i was like john waters for that reason it's just like <laughs> yeah the fact that every movie has to be good and and now that there's like imdb or letterbox there's like an alg- there's like a scorecard for everything it's so many movies i feel like get lost because like they can't be judged by an algorithm because like of course so many movies are bad but like a bad movie will can blow your mind just as much as a good movie you know absolutely in fact you know i would actually i guess maybe it's a matter of perspective Uh, that I've chosen so like you were saying how you know with IMDB and things like that there is a metric that is out there now it's the rating system the stars or whatever that people assign a certain you know credit or whatever value to a project I actually use that to hunt the movies that I kind of want to see then when it's like a four or three (laughs) exactly two to five star that's the direction I'm going it's the same thing when um when the MPA decided to start saying why they rated a film R or whatever Instead of that being a tool that I think parents use to decide should their kids see it or not, now it helps me decide what movies I want to see. You yeah. know, it's like if I see it's like for strong, grisly, sustained violence, perfect, I'm there. You know, it's just like, so I think that these these measures that people put in to help categorize actually have a utility that 
might not first come to mind. Yeah, and I mean, I think the people that end up seeing a lot of the most, I don't know, extreme cinema, like talking about it, because I think the teen goes into that category. It's like, a lot of it is nerds. It's not, I feel like the teen is a dangerous movie if you show it to your kid, <laughs> you know? But it's like, people aren't, it's not a movie you really just randomly find. You kind of have to have heard about it and it, and I do think there was a big word of mouth thing that happened with that movie at that time when it first came out. Um, just because a review, you would re any review was a good review for us, like anything. Even the bad ones were just as good as it was review proof. You know, you couldn't criticize it. That's that's actually a really great point, which is uh, which I guess is the next question as we zero in a bit towards the film is when it came out. I mean, I saw that there was, I think on IMDb, there was a link to like over a hundred some reviews or something crazy, 128. So how, how was it when it came out? Um, you know, what, what was that like in terms of your world and the film's world and the people who were involved? I mean, were you guys surprised by the reception or, or the reach? I mean, the fact that I don't know when you guys got with Troma to be released but i mean that's pretty cool it was like a year it had already kind of been released and we had been signed dvds before trauma took it um but we did run into a wall with just what the movie is and so it can never it can never be really distributed really like it can never be on any streaming platforms it's just because of the content mm -hmm. Um, just the dicks. I mean, the dicks and the semen. It's, that's it. There's no <laughs> everything well, else. Probably I was going to bring up the profuse amount of semen, but we're going to save that for a bit here. <laughs> I can explain why that happened too. I it's like a good reason why there's so much semen in the movie. Uh, I cannot wait to hear. <laughs> other than the fact that it's just fucking hilarious. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it came from my job, really. Oh. Um, I. I guess we'll see. I, it'll keep people to the end if if I <laughs> if I don't say it right now. Yeah, you you um, came for the oh, there's a pun already. You you showed up for some some background information, but stay for the jizz at the back end. All those reviews was because I just went through, and I don't think you could do this now, but I just went through all these blogs and I just messaged every horror blog, and. Pretty much all of them, I guess they, I could be probably had a trailer at the time. They just agreed to review it and I would just send people the movie. And um, I just don't think that blogosphere exists like it did then. Because um, it was Blogger or Tumblr maybe even, but I just don't even think that people have those anymore. It would probably be Letterboxd. If you were going to do it now, if you're a filmmaker, you'd probably do it on Letterboxd or something. Right. So let's look into the taint my first question is i noticed was there a did you make the name phil ogini was that a play on phylogeny yeah yeah okay so i had a feeling i just stumbled across that i was like the name is so specific i had to look around and see if there was a medical or a scientific term so could you elaborate on that connection i think it just means like the love of women or something. I think that's what it is. And, uh, but I think I took that from like a screenwriting book where it's like the name has to, the name has to mean something. And I was like, 
I, I definitely would. One of the things that movie of all the metaphors, I tried to make so blatantly obvious that the monsters that are like called mis uh, misogynist specifically. And I, that was me sort of making fun of just horror movie message, horror movies or like Dawn of the dead. It's just like, it's so fucking no. obvious that it, you just call <laughs> the monsters, the metaphor. And so the name, his name was the same thing. It's like, I don't know. Misandra is a misinjury. Um, I, I would say it's a joke mm -hmm. on bad writing. It was sort of the way I saw it. <laughs> Do you think that your film in some way inspired all uh, the the section from the film our robocop remake where they do the rape in the alley sequence with all the dicks getting shot off because you were shooting off dicks yeah, five years before that maybe happened they did um i was definitely inspired by robocop so it could there's the chance that it could have been unrelated yeah it's cyclical um <laughs> probably there's a good chance it's somebody at least has had to tell them that about the team if they didn't see it or not. They did a really good job, though. I mean, that thing is legendary. Absolutely. They did a better job effects-wise. <laughs> Their dicks are way better than ours. Well, I will say that they had a variety of different dicks that would explode. And I think because, you know, the latex or the palm or whatever they use probably... I guess was like from a VFX house, but it looked like uh, you know this is this is the next question. So the the makeup effects overall, let's there's a lot of really fun and cool effects in this film. So since we're on the topic of dicks, let's talk about it. Were they just a bunch of dildos that you hollowed out, or how how did that mechanic work? For how did the gimmick work? Yeah, like there they were like this the hero ones where we had like a couple silicone ones that yeah we just had a tube, and oh yeah, so. To answer the thing from before, the when I worked at Starbucks, you'd have these whipped cream canisters. They actually they're like fueled by nitrous oxide, and um, so you, mm -hmm. I would just you have to go empty them out in the sink, and it would just spray white like whipped cream everywhere. But I was like, oh, this could be interesting. There's <laughs> a way to spray something, you know. So basically, I use it, and I. Whenever I, I worked on other movies and I would use it, I've actually gotten other effects people to use it. But it's like basically a portable like air compressor, but you can put blood in it. You can put all the semen though is like uh, flour and water. That's how we how we did it. Which uh -huh. um, you could do really realistic semen that way. Yeah. So the ones that explode, <laughs> those are just paper. It's like paper mache. Oh, really? Interesting. We didn't have very powerful explosives, so it's like the more the more you know strong the material, the bigger explosive you need. So, um, and I think mm. some of them might be latex, but latex is too um, strong for whatever we're using. Um, but yeah, so the ones in the background are kind of the shitty ones, the shitty dildos, and then but yeah, there's just like straight dildos from a sex sex store or whatever did you have uh only because i had a uh, a very silly experience did you have any interesting experiences when you went to buy a grip of dildos from a sex shop i think some of them we got online and then there was one time though that 
because we 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 did a lot of the work at my friend's house apartment, and one time we were like working on stuff outside on 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 like this like bench, and then the landlord came and like saw all the dicks, and I think he was just like it was just known. You just you didn't ever speak of this again, basically. So I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> There was a lot of that in filming. People would just be like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Um, but I think because we are, we're in the South, it was, people are more interested that you're filming a movie. Whereas if it was like New York or something, they'd, they'd fuck with you. Well, just so you know, I'm a fellow uh, East Coaster. I'm originally from Maryland. Oh, cool. And so not that far away from, um, from Virginia there. And we had the same experience when we made our film that everybody thought it was the coolest thing because, you know, it's it's Baltimore. What are you going to, nobody's doing that other than, you know, HBO every once in a while, but they didn't care. It was just like, oh, there's a couple of young guys making a movie. Then that's, that's pretty cool. There, you ended up getting a lot of support. Did you find that you, that you got any additional support because of the fact that you were making a film or is it more of that, just that area of people just left you alone? No, people help. Like if it wasn't like a lot of people helped us make that movie. Um, and and obviously no one was really paid to do it. Like there was, I think maybe a couple people got, two of the actors maybe got paid, but it wasn't, you know, it was nothing. And then, um, uh, I mean, we did do some, we did pay some people later when we made some money, not that the movie really made that much money, but um yeah, I mean, there is something about Richmond. It's the kind of place where people just want to make art. And then I think, I think also just the movie was such an insane idea. And, um, you know, obviously there's like women in the movie. So I'd have to explain why we were making the movie, like what the reason for making the movie was. <laughs> right. And some filmmakers have asked me that. They're like, how did you get women to be in the movie? Well, like I had to explain why we are making this movie and what's the point of the movie which I think if you're doing anything exploitive, you should be able to do, mm -hmm. you know, someone's like, why are you murdering all these women in your movie? You should be able to at least have an explanation of some kind. Um, and if you do, you know, you'll probably be able to get away, you know, though I think there's something about it when you cross, when it became the movie so extreme that I think people would just want to do it just because it's like, you can't believe that it's real. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's something about when you're pushing boundaries that, that that sort of happens. People realize they're like, you're breaking the rules of reality in front of people. They're like, and um, I've had people say that about, I made this environmentalist porn, <laughs> which is my highest rated movie, actually. It's like a, on IMDb, it's like an eight or something insane. It shouldn't be rated that high. But um, someone saw it and they were just like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. They told me, they're like, I can't believe it's called, that's called crude. Um, but, uh, and I did that movie just because you're not supposed to do that. You know, you just, why would you, and also why, you know? Um, I'd like to make these bad decisions. That, <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I'm a sort of got off topic. But the idea is like I think when you put when you're pushing boundaries, people just get into it. It's like a thrill. Um, but yeah, you do have some kind of responsibilities though to like people's safety and like 
you don't want to traumatize people by making, which is really easy to do when you're making movies because it's like, it's really stressful to make a movie and uh, it's hard, extremely hard. So it's really easy to put people in like cold, shitty environment, you know, for extended periods of time. So it's, you know, but that movie for the most part, I think was like fairly easy to make compared to other movies that we've made. Let's look at, again, some more of the effects just to uh, unravel the magic and the mystery here. So first thing that comes to mind, uh, there's a woman, uh, I think towards the beginning, there's a group that gets chased. You know, they end up on like, it looks like a bayside or a beachfront, and then they scatter. And a girl in the white dress ends up falling onto some rocks, and a guy rips her leg off. Yeah. So at first I thought... Maybe she was an amputee and you digitally drew a leg because I, but then I went back and I watched it. I was like, no, you could see her walking perfectly fine. So how did you pull that? Because it looks so good. That was compos. It was compositing. So I do think there was a, in a lot of those effects, um, there'd be like a fake leg. And then Dan did all the compositing on that movie, but um mm. it was like, you'd compose, generally most of the effects were, some kind of practical element and then that was combined with uh a real person so all the head crushes there's it would basically be like a styrofoam hollowed out styrofoam head and then you just crush that and usually there would be a wig on it mm-hmm. it's why there, the, one of the reasons there's so many wigs in the movie is for the head crushes and make like a, a person that doesn't have hair like a bald person like it's much easier it's much harder to like match um a fake head that doesn't have hair to it, it was just in the compositing so that's why it's easier to have the, the wig just be the wig the whole time versus going from real hair to a, a wig or something but um originally it was supposed to just be really bad so it was just going to be styrofoam heads getting crushed but then um a friend of ours said like, oh, that looks like shit. And then Dan really took it to heart. So he tried <laughs> compositing and it ended up working really well. And I think one of the reasons that compositing also works well is like the movie is mostly handheld. So the handheld also covers up some of the, it helps sell it even more. Cause it, it does, just, it gives it a sense of immediacy, like very similitude, yeah. <clears throat> which I, I guess part of me would say that yeah, I've only dabbled in some of this sort of effect stuff, nowhere near to this degree. But I would say that actually the handheld, it just adds another layer of difficulty, though. I think these composites are relatively quick shots. So it's only a matter of however many frames that he has the motion track to make it yeah. match. But it does help. But because uh, I actually did go frame by frame to see how you did this because it go it it's so seamless. And that's. <laughs> it's always funny to say well the head crushings were a real standout you know but they were the effects were so yeah. simple but it was using just enough digital technology to really highlight the physical gimmick on the day and that is i think what made it so successful also filming the practical element at the same time you just take the person out put the head in the the lighting is exactly the same so even in Hollywood movies that use compositing with the practical element, a lot of time they'll go film the the fake body in a in a green screen room, and then they'll incorporate it into the footage. But if you can film it at the exact same time in the exact same place, the exact same lighting, 
the lighting is usually a dead giveaway too. It doesn't quite match. Um, so that's the other trick for people if they're gonna try it at home um, <laughs> to film it at the same time. So that that unravels a fair amount of the mystery of things that are are going and either crossing paths with or covering a head or a face for a crush. But what about a dick exploding through the front of a face? That was a really good transition. How did that work? That was mostly practical, um, actually. I think, I'm trying to remember when it first comes out. Yeah, when it first comes out, that's compositing. And then um, when it explodes, it's actually the fake head and the fake dick. And it's like the, the, the head is like above the camera and the camera's below. And there's just like a balloon inside of it. And this like tiny firework just sets off the blood and all the blood comes down to the camera. Um, it's another trick to use gravity. To, ah. <laughs> you really want things to burst out. Because the thing about blowing things up is like, if you really want to blow something up, you need like a shotgun or like the, the best way to blow up a head is a shotgun, like the scanner's head explosion. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a thing where it's like, you in the in the team like that had a lot of those things it was just like paper because like we didn't have explosives big enough to really blow something up so we just used gravity to carry the the goo towards the camera in that <laughs> scene um, but yeah when it first first comes out it had that was compositing i believe i haven't seen the movie in a while so i don't remember all of the shots but right so it, you you sound incredibly versed in in uh, these effects so was this something you knew before or that you learned along the way or was it somebody else that taught or how did that go we didn't really know how to do everything but we basically learned everything on youtube dan had done compositing before so dan knew the compositing part and it was all done in after effects which now i i do my job now is in, it's like an animation and i'm mostly composite but at the time, I didn't know how to do it. And um, and so we we kind of knew special effects, but we didn't really know. But we learned everything everything we learned on, on YouTube. And um, in that movie, we didn't really do molds. We, there's not a lot of prosthetics, like, on people's faces or, um, like, when the guy gets his face ripped off mm -hmm. and he's carrying around his face, that's just, like, we painted latex on a mask or something and then just peeled it off, like... There's a lot of like really lo-fi stuff. And then the heads, we just went to like a, a, like a costume store or fabric store and got those foam heads for wig, wig heads. And we would just cut them open and then carve everything out and then have these really thin heads that we would fill with blood <laughs> and then hot glue them together and then paint them. So it was a very lo-fi. And I think the compositing really makes it seem like our practical effects were better than they were. But now afterwards, I worked on some movies that I actually did sculpting and I did actual like two piece molds and use silicone and stuff like that. But at the time, it was all kind of like the cheapest way to do stuff that you, I'm trying to remember. There was the YouTube page. I forget what it was. I'm sure they're still around, but they had they'd have... <laughs> you know, how-tos of how you do some of this stuff. Um, basically, that's how we learned was YouTube. 
Wow. Well, it, it, it worked. <laughs> and that's all that matters is it worked. I, um, I need to give a shout out to, uh, to Cody Crenshaw, who played your uh, Houdini. Um, that dude was just made for that. It seemed like, and I, 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 one of my favorite sections in that movie, and it's hard because there's so many is the montage. So his training montage, his life, like I'm clearly you were trying to spoof on that sort of that tone, right? Cause you really nailed it with the music and the, the yeah, visuals. The homoerotic eighties, like when, Yes, action movies were very like Commando or um, oh yes, like Deadly Prey and every every guy is like sculpted, sweaty, no yeah. not wearing a shirt. It's literally, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that was and, that was fantastic. It, speaking of the the track for that, so did you you did the music for this? I didn't do that song. That was um, Philip Hessen and Robert. Oh, Robbie, but I think it's best. I think it's his last name. I, um, but yeah, they, I knew them. Another friend of mine, uh, or, or had had put them in a movie, and then mm-hmm. I just heard it was like an 80s hair metal song, and I was like, oh, I gotta get them to do this. And uh, they, I expected it to be good, but I didn't expect it to be as good <laughs> as they did it. Well, yeah, all no, the music in the film is great. So, I mean, like the synth, like that retro throwback synth feel, yeah. I really, I really gravitate. Is is that what you did or? Yeah, I did all the synthesizer stuff. Um, but yeah, like I don't really know music theory, but um, when I was younger, my brother gave me this program called Reason, Reason 1.0. And it's like a analog synthesizer PC program. It was like a ripped copy of it. Mm-hmm. But I always just fiddled around with it. And then um, on that movie, I got uh, like a MIDI keyboard and I kind of sat down. And, but yeah, I was definitely going for like John Carpenter. And obviously, but that was before John Carpenter was cool. Music was cool again. And now it's <laughs> like, then he toured, which like was amazing. But uh, yeah, it was like before the synth wave really took off, I feel like I got I got in under the wire where I'm not really following anybody. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know when the movie was over. I just like was holed up in a room with no windows and I just worked on the soundtrack. Um, but that's I think the best part of the movie for me is the sound. Like uh, probably the thing I'm the most proud of is the the way the soundtrack turned out. It it turned out fantastic. I mean, that's why like there's I, I say this in the um in the episode, uh, and it sounds like you have either encountered this sort of stuff or you've already been aware of it, but there's certainly some things that that outshine others in the film, but overall it makes it a wonderful piece. Like the music is so on point, the effects are so good, like everything is just so batshit crazy. So now because you had mentioned how even if you make a bad movie or something like that earlier in our conversation, you said that people can make a bad movie. What how, what did you mean by that exactly? Well, I think it's like, I think at the time, the way I thought about it, and I, I still think about it now, it's 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 like the punk rock version of a movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's. I think a lot of movies, it's like prog rock is how people think about movies. It has to be perfect. It has to mm-hmm. be, everything has to be composed. Everything everything has to be intentionally done. And you have to be like this intellectual 
you know, I don't know. I mean, it's not, if you care too much about anything, you're not cool. You know, in the world of cool, not giving a fuck is like the number one uh, thing to be cool. But in movies, it's really hard to not give a fuck and make a good movie. It's like, it's a, to find that balance because most people that make movies are nerds. So like, it's really hard to be cool and to be a filmmaker. And I, I think it's, there's like, not that many filmmakers I think are really cool. <laughs> I don't, it's like offensive, really offensive. I'm probably offending a lot of people, but it's like <laughs> most filmmakers are nerds, you know? It's just part of the job. It's a very technical job. But yeah, it's like if you could make a punk rock movie where it's like the run and gun. And, um, but yeah, the idea of punk rock, it's like, it's not the best playing. It's not the best musicians. It's like the energy behind it. And also if you're having fun and that comes through, that's like important. So I think that was our, um, but I think originally the movie was gonna be, our intention was to make a bad movie. And I think the movie became a little bit better than we thought it was gonna be by the time we were done. Um, but yeah, it's the ultimate fuck you is to, is to not try to be a good filmmaker. It's just like, just be like, fuck you. My movie doesn't have to be good. <laughs> And I do think if you're young, that's the way to do it. Because if you care too much, it's really hard to make a good movie in in general. But like, the less you care about doing that, I think the better off you'll be. It's, I don't know, it's a counterintuitive. But... <laughs> just bouncing backwards a bit here. You don't have to explain, but I just wanted to give a, a shout out to the first person point of view inside a vagina. Hmm. Both of those were delightful. <laughs> Though the comedic timing of the second one was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was inspired by this Japanese movie called Hanzo the Razor, Sword of Justice, which I, I don't I don't know if it's like a pink movie, but it's like a weird, it's like a weird sex Japanese movie. But it was a mainstream Japanese movie. But uh, and I think other people have had this experience, but I was watching at my friend's house. We just thought we were watching a samurai movie. And then <laughs> at some point in the movie, we realized, whoa, there's like some weird sex shit in this movie. But in that movie, there's, I think it's, I think it's the reverse though. It's like a vagina cam or something. And I just remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> like, no one signed up for this. So that's why we put that in the movie. Um, nice. I like that. <laughs> But it's a series. The Hanzo movies, there's like a whole series of them. Yeah, I was just looking up now. I see there's the snare sort of justice and things like that. Who's got the gold? Um, fantastic. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's like softcore, but Japanese softcore. It's, it's a, it'll, um, if you like weird, they're weird. Oh, I, I do. And I, I know that they are problematic. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Definitely problematic. Well, I do like problematic. Uh, let's do some uh, some rapid fire uh, random stuff here. Uh, Phil, Phil O'Ginny, is is he uh, is he a good dude? Is he a good guy? Um, I think he's not self aware, um, but probably not. Like now nowadays, no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> In like today's world, definitely not. But at the time, I think he was more of like a fool mm. character. Yeah. Can you elaborate on his sunglasses choices? 
Oh. Is there a secret code? Well, it's when, whenever he's going to thinks he's going to kill something, he puts on the black ones. But mainly that was because I was just at some place and I found the same sunglasses, but a different color. I just found the two. And then I, I don't know, the idea just came to me. I was like, we have to use both for some reason. <laughs> Uh, Houdini's crew has some of the best names ever. Which one was your favorite? Oh, uh, I mean, Alligator Fuckhouse is definitely. That's uh, how on earth did you come up with that? Oh, Urban Dictionary. I was just like really searching through Urban Dictionary for <laughs> sex acts. One of them is lost. Like Alligator Fuckhouse, I think is like, and none of these you should do. Whatever, like whatever they mean. I, but you shouldn't do any of them. I think alligator fuckhouse, and I don't know if it's real or not, but it's if you're like behind someone and you bite them and then you flip them over in the bed or something like an alligator would do. I don't think you should do that <laughs> unless someone wants like specifically says do this to me. You you heard that first here, folks. Just ask for consent before you alligator fuckhouse somebody. It's probably still an urban dictionary, but I could be wrong. I most certainly hope it is. The end, that was something that I thought was such a fun and also tragic twist was that Ludus tainted their wine. And you have Phil running around saying, you know, you know, he's not a misogynist and he's starting to see the world fall apart. Now, that final image, is that your way of saying like that's what's in the mind of these people or is that like the 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 gray the 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 black and white tones with all the dicks sort of vibrating around and the sort of psychedelic thing is that like the loss of sanity or was it just a weird way to end the movie what, how did that work out I mean I do think it's like nirvana it's like dick like dick nirvana like yeah transcending into <laughs> The misogyny. Yeah, I guess it's just sort of, uh, I think that was Dan, Dan's idea was to come up with that 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 image. Um, but yeah, I think it's like turning into the misogynist or whatever. It's like the, someone, somebody wrote a really good review where it's like, it's, it's like, if you, if you logically follow, if you're a misogynist and you follow that logic to the fullest extent, you just end up in a world full of dicks and that's all there is is dick. And it's like, that's what you fought so hard for. Like if you live your life hating women, it's like, it's, you just want dicks, like a world of dicks, I guess. There's a really good take from that review where they, it's better than the way I explained it, but. I mean, that just actually, I yeah. mean, that was good enough for me, man. It made sense. Yeah. Wow. Um, if there's anything you would like people to take away from the taint who have not seen it yet, what would that be? I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, <laughs> so, but I remember the last time I saw it, I was like, Oh my God. I was like, there's jokes in it that I couldn't believe that I told like now where I'm just like, Whoa, like <laughs> the freedom that I had. But I also, I guess the warning is at the time I, I was, I didn't give a fuck about anything <laughs> and I didn't give a fuck about myself. And I, and I did, I was just like, there is like the self-destructiveness that I had at the time that comes through in the movie. And I think it's why the movie is like perpetually 
evergreen and its fucked upness. Um, but now that I'm older, I don't think I could do it again. Like, it, like I don't think I could go there. But I do think you have to be careful when you're pushing the boundaries. It's like, because I know there's like younger people, they want to do it too now. They want to just, there's like these sort of New York, I know there's New York film people that are all about pushing the boundaries. And then like, it's all been done before. Mm-hmm. It's all the fucked up shit's been done. And the really fucked up shit is on the internet. So you can't really compete with the internet. Um, but yeah, just be careful when you're <laughs> pushing the boundaries of cinema. Like, to, like you have to lead a decent life. <laughs> you don't want to destroy yourself making these fucked up movies, you know? And last question about the, the film before we wrap up here. Do you see a world in the near future or distant future where there might be a sequel to The Taint? I think it would be hard to do. It's like a catch-22 because it would have to be bigger and have to be more fucked up on some level, but you couldn't get money to make a more fucked up movie. So it's sort of like, it's a dilemma. It's like, how do you, um, maybe an animated thing might, might work. You know, I think you may get away with more in animation. Oh man, I can't believe you just said that. And it just suddenly reminded me of something I meant to ask. And I didn't even think about that animation in the middle of the film with the rabbits. Oh yeah. That was by my friend, uh, Brian bear so fucking heartbreaking and so fucked up and hilarious at the same time it hits so many chords i I, it was just wow (laughs) he was always he would show movies at this at the project resolution where i showed my movies and like his animations would always kill they would like animation like if you can you can just manipulate people's emotions with the animation in a way the live action can never do um, especially if things are cute, <laughs> people will always empathize with the animated characters. But yeah, I just remember the—I don't know—the animated movies I saw when I was a kid, like Bambi. They were really fucked up and uh, and sadistic. Would you really think about it if you're showing kids that? So I wanted something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's the one that did all the animation. He's on Twitter. If anybody wants to, he's still doing stuff. That's awesome, man. I, I look. I, I I told Chris this when we were talking about the movie. I'll tell you this too. I could just keep talking about it forever, but we don't have forever, and I've taken up enough of your time. I want to thank you so much for for meeting up here to chat about this this film. If you have not seen it, everybody, you should go check out the Taint. It's available on Troma now. It's on Vimeo. Um, Drew, is there anything that you would like to talk about or promote before I let you go? Anything you're working on or anything that you would like to direct people to go check out? Um, I did another movie called Science Team. That's probably my favorite movie I've done. And then that's on, it's on Amazon, I think. I think that's where you can get on Amazon. And I did another movie on, uh, called Assassinat, which is my most hated movie. It's the movie everyone hates that I did, um, but that that's on Tubi. That one's on Tubi. That one's like in a bunch of like got released by Dread. Um, oh, Dread, Dread Central or Dread Central? Yeah, there it's Epic Pictures, but yeah, they released it. It's like a movie with like kids. I made a movie with kids on an alien planet. I did basically everything you're not supposed to do in a movie. We did in that movie. <laughs> it's children. You, it's or, all location. Wow. Was this um, like to pay penance for the taint in some way or? On some level, I guess. Like it was, uh, but that movie, there was like kind of a budget. 
um, we had investors on that movie, but it's a very different kind of movie. It's not, it's more weird and um, it's all over the place, but it's kind of a slasher movie with kids that that does happen. But yeah, science team is more closer to the team in, uh, in tone. So cool. Uh, rock and roll. Anything else? That's it. So we just find that. Um, yeah. Do you want to, any social handles or anything out there or just keep that to yourself? I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I don't really do use it <laughs> that much, but it's just my name. If anybody, I don't know, wants to contact me for some reason, but cool. Well, thank you, Drew. It's been a real bullshit, no bullshit honor and a pleasure. Thank you for coming out, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And for everybody out there, uh, you've heard it here. This is the man, Drew. Yeah. Check it out. The Taint. And until next time, stay subversive. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.